0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Marc Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. We're back this time with another special episode from our friends over at Ghost Ranch Communications. You probably haven't heard of Ghost Ranch, and that's because they live behind the scenes, helping B2B product marketers bring their stories to life, consultative presentation, and sales-enabling asset design services. Even though as a product marketer, you're often asked to develop some of your organization's most valuable content and assets that help drive revenue and adoption, it's rare that you have access to your own dedicated design team. As a result, you usually find yourself waiting in the same queue as the rest of the org. Ghost Ranch is that fractional design arm dedicated to helping product marketing teams bring their ideas to life with a level of responsiveness and collaboration that is hard to find in-house or from full service agencies. In this week's show, Mikey Mioduski, the founder and CEO of Ghost Ranch, sits down for a conversation with Jen Jones, the Chief Marketing Officer for Commerce Tools. Commerce Tools is a leading digital commerce platform behind some of the largest and most innovative global brands. In her role, Jen oversees Commerce Tools' global brand, marketing, and corporate communications efforts, including brand strategy and design, customer marketing, demand generation, product marketing, marketing analytics, and operations. She also possesses that rare grasp of both the technical and the brand and storytelling side of marketing, here, Jen discuss her fascination with tech and how a broad tour of marketing, with a short stint in sales, set her up to succeed as a product marketer. Beyond that, Jen also shares her thoughts on the value of network and the importance of keeping close ties with your peers while building mental relationships throughout your career, why empathy and consistency matter in what we deliver to sales, why she thinks everybody in our organization should own brand, why she is excited to capitalize on more storytelling opportunities this year for commerce tools, and finally, our product marketers should spend time with as many other teams and our contributors as possible. All right, with that out of the way, take it away, Mikey. Hey, everybody.
1: This is Mikey Meduski, the founder and CEO of Ghost Ranch Communications. I am honored to be here with Jen Jones, the CMO of Commerce Tools. Jen, thank you so much for joining us for a, a special episode of the, the Product Marketing Life podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me today. Excited for our conversation.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. So like, I think the best place to start might just be to talk about your background. I mean, I've met so many marketers uh, in tech and, and you know, even consumer, and it seems like none of them thought they were going to be marketers or, you know, studied marketing per se and had all sorts of different paths into it. So was curious if you could give us a little bit of your background and maybe how you got to where you're at as CMO of Commerce Tools today
2: yeah i think like many marketing leaders oh it's not true i think some sort of had that vision in mind but many of us didn't and it's sort of the career that i Never knew existed, right? I was a neuroscience major in college. So I was in like the basement laboratory doing like pipette experiments and things like that. Um, so completely different. And then, you know, I was really just facing graduation and really needed to be done with school for a little bit. And it was sort of right at the late 90s dot com boom days before the bus days came about shortly after. And I moved out to Silicon Valley and got a job in web marketing at Sun Microsystems. And it was, you know, marketing and technology was just not a field I even knew existed when I was studying in school. So I consider myself really lucky because I found something that I loved from the beginning and uh, really sort of made my way around the marketing department early in my career. I worked, like I said, I started in web marketing. I worked in programs. I worked in comms and brands and events and customer marketing and did all the pieces. And then finally, after a few years, you know, over a decade into my career, made the jump over to product marketing. because so it was the one area that I hadn't done yet. And I wanted to give that a try. And it was almost like I saved the best for last. So that was really, I loved product marketing more than anything. And then after that, I, I got my first role first as SVP of marketing at Cision, where I was running the whole department. And then later on, got my first CMO role.
1: Can you talk about like, Why do you love product marketing so much?
2: You know, I think it's back to that being a little bit more technical and science minded by nature. And I think product marketing, it's all of the stuff that I love about marketing, it's a lot of that art and language, you know, really thinking about words and putting stories together. But the flip side of it is also being able to turn on that technical side of your brain and have a meaningful, deep conversation with your head of engineering or get into product details with a customer. So in the tech industry, particularly, I think product marketing gives you that sort of duality, which is what I, I just really loved that and the storytelling piece, you know, being able to tie it all together. And tell a meaningful story that can resonate with your buyers and with your customers um, and really get them excited about about your product
1: so you did the full tour of marketing web programs comms events brand customer and then product marketing and then as you said you were you made the jump from you know director level product marketing I think to SVP of corporate marketing and then finally to CMO can you talk about like that transition when you left? product marketing to oversee so many other things. Reflecting back on that, what did you run into that was tough? Or where did you think maybe some of your background actually helped you with that transition too?
2: Yeah, I think there were a few things that surprised me. Maybe people can learn from my mistakes. Um, But when I first sort of got to that first CMO role or rather SVP role, it's the first time that, you know, I was the, my boss no longer knew more about marketing than I did. Right. Now all of a sudden you're reporting to a CEO, unless I came from a marketing background, which many of them don't, you need to know more than your boss. And it's really different being a VP of product marketing. You may know more about product marketing, but typically you still report into a CMO or someone that can really you can really bounce ideas around. They're a marketer too. So realizing that that all of a sudden you have that lonely moment. And the the flip side of that is making sure that you have a really strong network and I had quickly realized that I had done a good job of building a network sort of below. Like I was always really good about bringing people along and nurturing other people's careers and finding junior talent and building my network there, which is absolutely important. You always want to do that because you want to have your people that you can call to bring with you. But it's really important too to have a network that is above you and have a good, a network of mentors and peers, so that you you have someone that you can bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. So I had to sort of go back and scramble and create that, which which I was able to do. But you know, in hindsight, I think that's something I would have spent some more time on earlier. Yeah,
1: and is that the, the mentor mentee relationship? Is that something that has to be organic? Is there is there some sort of more formal approach to that, or how did you go about? Like rounding up your mentors.
2: Yeah, it's hard to do, right? And I think some people are naturally good at it, and really good at. I guess for me, the hard part was always to feel like I was asking someone of something, some something of someone rather, um, asking for somebody's time, asking for a favor. And one of the things I've really learned is that mentor mentee relationships are best when they're a two way street. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a mentor, we, uh, we get things from our mentees as well, right? We learn a lot and it needs to be both ways. So looking at it from a mentee perspective, And realizing that I had something to bring to the table too, and finding those relationships where it is a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And then never discount your peer network, right? A lot of the people that we've worked alongside of 10 years ago are now in really senior roles as well. And I've seen that as I've continued nurturing my current network, where people that were directors with me 10, 15 years ago are also now CMOs or CROs or COOs or CEOs, So looking at how you maintain that network throughout, and again, what do you bring to the table as well?
1: Uh, Jen, you've always stood out to us as someone who takes the materials and the assets that you're preparing, maybe for the the sales team, like very seriously, even when it was something like, I think my first recollection of your email in my inbox was during the Oracle Marketing Cloud days. And I think you wanted us to design something like an internal facing battle card. And I think like, surface level conventional wisdom might be, hey, this is an internal piece. It doesn't really need does it really need to go through a design ringer? Does do we need to invest in the way this looks and yada yada? So what is it about like something like that, even something internal? Or like an SKO that you do want to go to that next level with the design or the storytelling, and yeah, why why do you prioritize that?
2: Yeah, I think there. You know, I have two answers to that really. When you take the example of the battle card, and when you first said my first email to you, I was like, oh no, what did I say? But I I remember that battle card because so it's a great format. Like I love that battle card. <laughs> as silly as that sounds. But I think, you know, as product marketers, we give so much to the sales team and just having a little bit of empathy of how much information we're asking them to consume to remember while they're managing their territories and working deals and nurturing new opportunities and closing things and renewing customers. They have a lot on their plate. And then here comes product marketing with, hey, here's a new competitive update I want you to remember. And for the salespeople, that may not be relevant to their current quarter. Maybe they're not against that competitor currently, but they will be later on, right? We know that in marketing. So we want them to be prepared So I think it comes from a a standpoint of having some empathy that it's easier for people to retain and learn new information when it's a very consistent, clear format. And I think that's where good design can really come into play. And using that battle card example, we've all seen terrible examples of battle cards where like the font is eight points and, you know, on this competitor, the first side is all about, you know, what their, what our benefits are against them or how we beat them. But then on this other one, we have a completely different format because we have their latest media clips and, you know, there's no, there's no consistency there. So I think if you can create internal materials for your sales team, where they always know, if I go to the you know, Page two on the top right. That's where I'm going to get my top three key points. And it just makes it easier to consume, to remember. We're not asking them to remember facts. We're asking them to remember format and have it at their fingertips for when they need it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an example of where good design can really help make complex and voluminous information more consumable. Then my other answer is kind of on the SKO Mm -hmm. or like internal presentations. And I agree a lot of times that feels like a, a time or a cost saver of, oh, it's just the internal all hands just throw a slide together. But brand is brand is everything, right? We are all brand owners. And I say that to you know, our internal team of commerce tools all the time, marketing doesn't own the brand. We all own the brand. It doesn't matter what you do. If you work the front desk at headquarters, you're the first person that people see when you walk in the door, you're a brand ambassador. If you're a salesperson, BDR, you're a brand ambassador. And I think that internal design, having that consistency, setting that standard for high quality, everything that we do is on brand of high quality that matches who we are as a company, it just sets the tone. And you know, I, I think good design when it's when it's really good, it kind of fades to the background and people don't realize the impact. But it's that psychology of it just being there and being up to the high standards that we set. So I I never think a, a presentation is just internal, and we we don't have to put our all in. I think we we always want to put our best brand foot forward.
1: Jen, do you have any examples from the past, like when the product marketing team that you were leading gave something to sales or tried to enable the field with you know some a new initiative or motion? Do you have any examples of times that that went right, like whether you were getting feedback from sales, oh this is working, or you know some actually qualitative you know sort of impact that you had on on the organization?
2: Yeah. You know, I can think of two examples. You know, one, a couple of, of companies ago, product marketing had started again, nothing revolutionary. We all do versions of this, but like in every other week, brown bag learning session for sales. And there was that initial, we're too busy. We don't have time. Um, and I said, let's just put it up as optional. And coming back to that idea of being really consistent, we had an extremely consistent, rigid format. First 10 minutes, we were covering A. The next 20 minutes was going to be a discussion around B. We were going to have five minutes for this. It was a very, very consistent format. And sales knew exactly what they would expect and exactly what they would miss if they didn't go to the live session. And it became so well attended. We had the majority of sales always attended. If we missed one, I got feedback from sales managers saying we need that. So I think that setting high expectations for what your team delivers and being really conscious about the importance of seller's time can be important. Another one that was more design specific was a SCO example where a couple a couple of years ago we had a SCO and did an internal design template. So I feel like those are examples where you can stretch your brand a little bit. Like you always want to be true to your brand, but you can be a little bit more creative because it truly is internal only, and you want to get people excited. So we had this SCO presentation template, and one of the um, sales VPs came back to me and said, "I love that template so much; it was so fun to use." And I I kind of like laughed and wrote that down. Down is something I had to keep with me because how often do you hear that a, a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation is fun to use, right? But I think that's an example of where, again, like good design, consistency, and good planning and thinking about the details can make the overall experience just so much better for your internal mm-hmm. teams.
1: That's wonderful. And I heard you on the, the Revenue Generator podcast talking about like team building and you know, still admitting that like you have so much love for product marketing and even sometimes still fancy yourself a product marketer. But you also talked about how it can be hard to hire for that role. Can you talk about what separates a good product marketer from a great one?
2: Yeah, it is a really—it's a notoriously hard role to hire, and I can tell you from my my peer network, we talk about that a lot. It's hard to find great product marketers, and you know, I think when you look at the individual contributor level in product marketing, you tend to find people who are either great at the working with the sales team side—they're great at making sales presentations and sales tools and doing that competitive work and objection handling—and working one-on-one or one-to-many with the sales teams. Like they really get that seller's perspective and they're great at creating messaging and all that work. And then you tend to get people who are more technical and are really good at working with product management and talking to engineering in meaningful ways, working with the analysts. Like they get that more technical side of the house And people tend to come into product marketing from one side or the other, and they start from one position of strength. And I think that the best product marketers are the ones that can always have one foot in both worlds, Mm -hmm. where if they started on a more technical track, they really learn, they spend time out in the field. They really learn how to work with sellers. If they came up through more of a sales or traditional marketing track, they spend time with engineering, sit there, listen to the technical customer calls, sit through implementations. And so to me, the the best, absolute best product marketers, and I think a requirement to be a product marketing leader, you have to be able to, to walk in both of those tracks. And it's not easy for people to do. Not a lot of people can flip and sit on both sides of that.
1: Right. And I even heard you said, sometimes you look internally because you've successfully brought people over from maybe like across the org who you thought their talents could actually set them up well for PMM. Is there any benefit then from them coming from that other side of the org? And can you speak to
2: that? Definitely. I've done a lot of that as as I've built teams, particularly with Whenever I have an individual contributor role that maybe is a little more junior or just looking for a few years of experience, whenever you find that person that's maybe on your technical side of the house now, either a product manager or someone in customer success and, you know, don't poach internally like be honest with your peers right i'm not advocating for that but when you have people on the more technical side who are looking for what they want to do next and they don't want to just continue up that career track and you have conversations and you you i always call it like the ear prick moment when you have a conversation with someone on the technical side and man do they do they get messaging do they have good instincts for that right that's someone that you can take and really then train on, on good mess, send them to some product marketing courses. There's plenty out there, right? Pick whatever methodology you prefer, but pick one, send them out to some courses, have them go through messaging, have them learn how we really, there's a real methodology behind coming up with good messaging and positioning. You can train them. On the other side, I've had the same where you have BDRs I've recruited from the BDR organization or from sales or from other marketing teams where they really, they get it like They understand that whole side of it. They understand how to pitch. They understand the sales process, but they just tend to be a little bit more technical. And that feels like something that's missing maybe in their career, where they always want to get a little bit into the technical details more than their job requires. Those kind of people can make great product marketers. And they often just don't know that that's a career that's available. So... I often do informational interviews with people and they'll start describing like, oh, I'm a you know BDR trying to, but I don't want to go into sales. I really love working on the product. I'm always like, have you thought about product marketing? Yeah. It's a great career track.
1: That's awesome. And then from there, I imagine there's quite a few product marketers listening who are like, What's next in my career? You know, like what is the what's the path? Can I become the next Jen Jones and make it to CMO? You know, curious. As you've reflected on your career and then maybe seen others who maybe made it from similar different walks of marketing and made it to chief marketing officer, are there any other traits or like soft skills that you've noticed tend to then be the next area that a director of product marketing should focus on to get to their next step?
2: Yeah. Well, as the saying goes, be careful what you wish for. It's not always (laughs) what it might appear from the outside. Um, I always say, you know, the CMO roles, a lot less marketing and a lot more time with HR and finance and legal and the board than, than doing actual marketing. So it's more when I butt my nose in and, and, uh, you know, yes, like you said earlier, I still fancy myself a product marketer at heart and my product marketing team would probably prefer if I didn't, but yeah, so it's a little bit of, you know, knowing that you have to like the administrative and operational side of it as well. And I think you have to be able to take all of that marketing knowledge and that product marketing work, but genuinely enjoy managing people, building teams, working cross-functionally, having a seat at the table and managing the business itself so if that's not of interest to you if you're not interested in revenue reports and you know partnering closely with sales leaders on forget my goals forget your goals there are company goals like that's the approach you have to have you know, then maybe, maybe it's not the best. But if you if you like that, if you like that operational side, if you really enjoy the business management aspect of it all and how marketing plays a really important role in it, then being a CMO, I think is is a dream job. It's it's kind of the best of both for me. That's
1: great. So maybe we can talk about what's going on at Commerce Tools, um, what you're focused on now. Is there anything that you're really excited about for 2023?
2: Yeah, there's so much going on. Um, it's definitely an exciting time to be there. I think coming from a product marketing background. One of the things that I realized and got me excited and sort of brought me over to Commerce Tools in the first place was it's it's a product that has just amazing product market fit, like nothing I've ever seen, right? And as product marketers, when we're looking at messaging and positioning and, you know, sometimes that work is a little harder than it needs to be. And you know, walking into Commerce Tools, it's like just a dream of timing. It's a market that is ripe for disruption, needs a new way of doing things. And by the way, we have this amazing answer. So storytelling is something I'm really excited about for this year. We've traditionally spoken well with our technical champions and we'll of course continue to do that, but we're a very technical product. And what I'm excited about now is translating that to more business benefits for our business users. Um, How having the right technical backbone for your e-commerce system can really translate into direct business results like revenue uplift or you know faster time to market and things that us business leaders and marketers especially really care about. So that's a story I'm excited to expand on and tell this year with product marketing and the rest of the team at Commerce Tools. That's awesome.
1: And I have to ask if you got to meet Will Arnett, because I saw that naysayer campaign like shortly after you got to mm-hmm. Commerce Tools. And that's not a traditional marketing campaign that I would see from like a technical B2B type company. Um, yeah, what was that like uh or would you mind telling us about like how that came to be?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're all really proud of that campaign. It was certainly a lot of fun, and it was exciting to be able to do a bigger brand campaign like that. I did not personally meet Will Arnett, although several people on my team did. They went on site for the the shoot day, and they had just the nicest things to say. Said he was absolutely the nicest person to work with, and obviously did such a great job in the the spot for us. Um, that came to be because we are, you know, we are headquartered in Germany, so we are a company with roots in Europe. And have really been expanding our business in the US. I think we've made a good name for ourselves in the US. We wanted to have something just a little more high profile and splashy to sort of accelerate that and make a big brand statement. And when we think about who we are, like what I said before about product market fit and timing for product that we have and where the market is today, we really are at this point of, you know, e-commerce is not new anymore. It's been around for whatever, 20. Plus years that many e-commerce systems have been up and running. So a lot of these sites are using old, outdated, legacy, monolithic technology that really inhibits what the business wants to do. You know, no, you can't do that. No, we can't do that. It'll take a year. We need all this money to customize it. Right. And we're sort of this fresh approach on how you can move fast and be very agile So trying to personify that is a complicated concept. And again, like speaking more to the business user who's used to being told no, because the system won't let us do that. And that was the idea. And our agency, Walker Sands, came up with that. I think they did such a wonderful job. Um, and ultimately, it was just a, a fun spot. We had a lot, of, a lot of fun with it.
1: So, how has the role of CMO evolved? Have you, as you've seen it, what do you think is ahead?
2: Yeah, I think the the role of CMOS is always evolving, right? And you read these splashy articles, clickbaity articles that are, oh, is the CMO role going away or it's being, you know, buried? And and I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't buy into that. I mean, certainly you'll find examples of companies where that's the choice they've made for their own reasons. But ultimately, I think it's a really important role that's, if anything, has elevated over the last 10 years. I think you see more CMOs having a legitimate seat at the executive team table, where before CMOs would often be buried a few layers down. And now I think most CMOs are reporting directly to the CEO and part of that broader business management team. I think uh, you're seeing more and more CMOs go on to become CEOs, which is an unusual path years ago. And now I think businesses are seeing that brand is so key in everything you do, whether you're B2B or B2C. And ultimately, marketing and CMOs are the ones that know how to deliver that. that storytelling, messaging, who are we? All of that stuff can be really important, not just to your customers, but also once you're talking to investors, whether public or private. So CMO candidates, somebody from a CMO background that does have that strong operational Bent, I think can be a really great, you know, you see people going on to CEOs and you're also seeing CMOs becoming more attractive for board candidates as well for those same reasons. So I think it's become much more elevated. The other side of that is there's much higher demand to not just be great at marketing, but also that operational piece, really understanding corporate finance and getting into the nitty-gritty there, um, being a partner to your CFO, not an adversary. All of these things are really, really key, I think, to being like a modern type of CMO.
1: That's great. And you are so good at team building. I know anytime I see someone from your network, because we've yeah, had the luck to be able to work with you over the years and saw someone from back in the decision days. And you know, it's always like, oh, have you followed Jen? And yeah, like everyone just speaks so highly of having worked with you. I know there's there's a huge fan, uh, Jen Jones fan club out there, including members of the, the Ghost Ranch team. So two people, Kelsey and Allie on my team, wanted to see if they could ask a question. One of them, Kelsey asked, who do you follow for like daily inspiration, whether for work or personal?
2: Ah, great question. And let's see, I am obsessed with following Kara Swisher, right? I think she is so insightful, funny, and obviously has such depth in tech. So I can just nerd out on her tech content, but then her social commentary is really interesting as well. Um, So anything she does, I'm always following, listening. And then
1: Allie had a funny question.
2: We all have like
1: forks in our career path. If you had to go back and couldn't choose marketing, uh, is there another bizarro world out there that, you know, another career that you think you would have pursued?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, If I couldn't choose marketing... Well, I'll say I first started out thinking I would go into sales and I cried every day. It was terrible. I'm a terrible salesperson. So I it's probably why I have so much empathy and respect for the salespeople I work with. So definitely not sales. Maybe product management. I could see myself going a little bit more on the the technical side and have done some product management roles here and there throughout my career on temporary basis. So maybe, but um I'm really glad marketing's an option because it's where uh, I like to be.
1: Yeah. And marketing's glad you're there too. Um, okay. So last question uh, for your next big keynote, you're walking up to the stage. What is your walkout song?
2: <laughs> Everybody loves a walkout song, right? Um, always uh, ride the lightning. Metallica. It's a good one. That's awesome. Get a long guitar intro. So much high energy. It's a, uh, it's a really good one. Highly recommend
1: it. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> All right, Jen, do you have any other, like any other thing to plug or parting shots, words to live by for the product marketing listeners out there?
2: Oh gosh, Um, words to live by. I don't know, but if you have any, please send your wisdom my way. Um, No, I, you know, I I love, like I said, I love product marketing. I think it's such a great place to be regardless of what your career, if you, if you know where you want to be, that's great. But if you're sort of like me where... I was always the eternal eyes wide open optimist, like all the possibilities in the world. It's hard for me to pick a career path. Product marketing is such a great place to be because you're really at the center of everything that your organization's doing and just keep reaching out and learning like across the org. Spend time with all the other teams. Like the more you learn about what other people in the company do, the more effective you'll be.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us and really enjoyed this conversation. And as always watching your career and rooting for you and yeah, just seeing all the amazing things that you and commerce tools are doing now. So thanks again for the chance to catch up.
2: Well, thank you. And thank you for all the kind words. It's a podcast. So everybody can't see me blushing and grinning ear to ear, but really nice of you. Thank you. (laughs) For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if
0: you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer, and you want to come on the show and speak about your day a specific topic or your role in general that's one option if you want to flex your podcast hosting skills being a guest host is another and finally if you or your company want to sponsor an episode there's a third thanks again and have a great morning afternoon or evening wherever you are